Hey everybody, welcome back to Subtitles on the only podcast about movies. You know, I say that every <laughs> week here on the show. <laughs> and it occurs to me with my guests and I'll just get right into it. I'm here with uh, uh, some esteemed guests to talk about this film, but we have Alex Sulkin and introducing Julius Sharp. Whoa! Thank you. You might you want you might want to get move forward in your seat a little bit, you know, because this is a new guy you don't know about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I might want I might want to pay attention because I think. I'm going to be seeing this young man again somewhere. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Fresh faces of Hollywood. They don't they don't introduce someone unless they want you to remember them. So uh but it is the only podcast about movies. Uh very proud to have that distinction. But I believe, and you two can correct me if I'm wrong, it is also the only podcast by writers for writers who hate writing. Yeah. Well, mm. uh, so mm. uh, unless mm. there's another one. Well, we Ugh. we have a podcast, but this is the first time I've actually been in a podcast studio. So, sure, yeah. Uh, you know, we're I would say we're in the AAA podcast. Like we're waiting to be called up to the show, and I think this is our opportunity. <laughs> did you not do it? You did it. You were in the Earwolf studio with me once, Goldie. That was Goldie. We're introducing, We're introducing Julius, Julius Sharp. Sharp. <laughs> Julius Sharp hasn't yeah. been here. No. And sometimes that's what it takes to make your mark. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like um, like Stephen King wrote a handful of books as Richard Bachman before he was introduced to the world right. as Stephen King. Right. And so I think that that appearance as Goldie will just forget it ever happened. And most people have. Yes. <laughs> and then this Julius Sharp one, I think, is the one that's going to stick. So the podcast is subtitles on. We're the only podcast that reads the movie. The movie, of course, was written and therefore meant to be read. It's only polite. We're talking about my favorite year, the 1982 film. Uh, now, when I told you that I wanted to do this, Goldie, I don't know if you texted with Alec first, but you pretty quickly wrote back. I said, I, we're, we're talking about movies about writers, and you were like, my favorite year. Yes. Is it a movie that has a special significance for you? Uh, it was the only movie I could think of that was about writing. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a very, and as a writer, that must hold a special place in your heart. Alec, you have a familiarity with this movie, pleasant memories? I do. I saw it at when it, came out somehow mm -hmm. and um you were 10 i know but this is the exact kind of movie that my mom would have insisted on taking me to because it's about your show of shows which was my favorite show growing up yeah and uh, i remember people in the 80s like kind of had a special place in their heart for this movie and whenever it's talked about it's on lists and people are like "Ooh, ah i mean spoiler alert it wasn't good my my first thing I said about this movie, because I remember watching it as a kid and I was like, yeah, we're going to do my favorite year. And I was like, my mom loved that movie. Yes. Like, I remember her having me watch it when I was little and like that it would just get referenced. Like, I don't even know what the connection would be. It would be like, oh, that's like my favorite year. Mm -hmm. Well, it's like my favorite year. Like, oh, yeah. It just my had mom... this real uh, um, special place in, in her heart. And I guess for a lot of moms all over the my, world. My mom still uses the line when people come over, welcome to my humble chapeau. 
she ah. says that still and you know it wasn't funny in the movie it's <laughs> not funny when my mom says it i disagree i like the movie i i do think there's definitely oh. that okay boomer element when uh-huh. it starts with what must be 10 pages of narration yes of- <laughs> I like it I, was this, it was that, and a Buick was a Buick, and I it, love the narration. I love the Buick was a Buick yeah. line. Uh, that I thought in my memory, I was like, "It's a lovely movie. I'm going to enjoy rewatching it." Yeah. And it is nice, but it was it is a it is a PG movie, very about a like alcoholic womanizer, right. like causing big problems and so there's something there's no bite to it really uh and the the humor is very tame and sort of corny it was a lot cornier than i remembered well i will also say the first thing you think when you hear my favorite year is you're gonna see a year and what we see is a week and really of that week it's three days yeah that's right. <laughs> That's False right. Advertising. It was yeah. my favorite year. My favorite three was, days. A, a Buick week. was a Buick. It wasn't a Chrysler, which looks like a Plymouth, which you can't tell apart from a Chevy. When it's I look back on my childhood, the, the, the one thing I cling to is how a specific car looked at a specific time. And that's how I judge whether it was a good era. Those years, yeah. those are the years that stand out. Yeah. yeah. So, Ford's like, when they came Ford. out with like um, the PT Cruiser, I'm angry. Go, it that- <laughs> <laughs> doesn't look like a Chrysler. <laughs> that was like a very hard year for me. <laughs> um, well, it's funny, Julie. Uh, Julius Sharp. I'd like to d- address Julius Sharp because I have a friend Goldie who would have hated this movie. <laughs> but it's surprising to me that ju- you, Julius Sharp, like this. It's that thing of. First of all, that way of portraying Jewish people in in comedy in particular True. is infuriating. It, not cool. <laughs> no. And it's accurate? also nev- not accurate. It, it just felt like very watered down Woody Allen. Very watered down. Well, yeah. yeah it's stuff that feels offensive and stereotypical I, I, at a few places in the movie. It's like I don't even get offended like it's offensive. It's offensive to to me as like a a person in comedy, not a Jew. I don't care. But it's mm-hmm. just like you're the way that you're going to put forth this softball. The patter of the comedy writers time. like interacting yeah. with each other. There, yeah, there is an annoying uh, sort of trope. You don't see it as much now, but I, I feel like maybe 30 years ago, people would talk about Brooklyn and we would be in the streets playing stickball and yeah. you know, Eddie was there and, you know, we'd be out till dawn. They would be calling us to dinner. Mikey, come home. But we didn't care. We didn't listen. The Italians stayed on their side. The Jews stayed on their side, but we wouldn't mix. It was all right. You know, it's like yeah. that sort of thing about Brooklyn that's super annoying. It, it definitely had that. But I yeah. love the concept of Brooklyn here where he's like, what's the thing where he's his mom tells him to bring the actor to dinner and he's like, you want me to bring Alan Swan to Brooklyn? <laughs> I know. Yes. I had that line highlighted as <laughs> yes, well. Yes, it was the, very the, funny. I, I, I think we missed a bet not writing in an era where that could be a laugh line because comedy yeah. writing would be so much easier. You want me to bring Alan Swan to Brooklyn? Also, given that there are two writers writing this, like you'd think one of them would say, 
Well, what if he just tells his mom, no, I'm not going to bring him. We have to work late. (laughs) (laughs) No, 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 that wouldn't work. His mom has a lot of control. Um, I I think I do want to talk about the writers because there are two writers that wrote it and I looked them up. So Dennis Palumbo, um, I think was the primary architect of this, did the story and then... um, Tonight on Palumbo. And then uh, I think got assigned to do it with Norman Steinberg. But Palumbo um, is now a therapist living in Los Angeles, specializing mm-hmm. in like creative difficulties. Do we all start seeing Dennis Palumbo? <laughs> do we all start therapy with Dennis Palumbo is what question I have. Um, oh, wait, Pal- Palumbo's the therapist. Palumbo is a, is, is a therapist. And yeah, I'm going to read you a little blurb. Check out Dennis's column. Hollywood on the couch on the Psychology Today website. It's the inside scoop on Tinseltown, USA. Hollywood on the couch reveals the psychological issues, both personal and professional, which affect creative types in the entertainment industry. Did he check it out? I, I haven't checked out Hollywood on the couch, but I have something even more interesting. First, he wrote for Welcome Back, Cotter before he wrote this movie. So I'm wondering, is you know, is there anything from there that was inspiration? Was one of those actors a problem? Was Gabe Kaplan disappearing to gamble all night and they couldn't find him? Um, but the other thing I like about him is he now writes thriller books oh. about a fictional psychologist who treats crime victims like trauma victims and then gets caught up in the case. (laughs) It's like a spin on like writers always writing about like themselves as writers. He changed careers, but then he kept writing, but it's still himself. It's still like, it's just a like stud version of himself who like when somebody comes in and something happened, he's like, let me go kick some ass. <laughs> I love I love the when they throw in the phrase like gets caught up in the case. Like yes. that that works so off, you know, it's like that's away. been a a joke I've been trying to sell for two decades where <laughs> oh, the scene of where someone it's in. kicks kicks an officer off, he calls him into his office. He said he says, you know, Dempsey, you're getting too close to the case. I got him kicking you off. You're too close to the case. And then the officer would say Oh, well, what if I can make myself not care about the case? Well, uh, yeah, you could stay on it. <laughs> but by the way, Gold, Goldie, that's in a family. That's in a family guy. You sold it. No, you rejected that's, it. No, it's in. No, it's in. you rejected it. I it remember in. writing it and having you reject it's it. The, it's the lethal weapon. Uh, or no, it isn't. It's a different story, but you, it's yeah, in. It's trust in. me. Mm. Don't it's trust in. him. You you achieved it. Congratulations! Guy did lethal weapon. It's this not happening. Non congratulations. <laughs> That's right. I like to throw those little gems out there to see who bites. <laughs> <laughs> so the other writer, and this is, and I'll get immediately into my uh, my smart thought, my big observation, my global observation here, which is the other writer is named Norman Steinberg. He worked on Blazing Saddles, that sort of like minted Mm -hmm. him as like a real talent and then he made this movie then he wrote johnny dangerously oh then he wrote wise guys Mm. with which brian Palma directed so he specializes only in joe piscopo gangster movies (laughs) this is all he makes after this and i think he's fortunate that there was an appetite for more than one 
<laughs> and as I watch the movie and you're watching the very first sketch, they have this boss hijack yes. thing, which becomes yeah. like a, I go, this is Johnny Dangerously. Like <laughs> yeah. this guy's appetite for doing like big corny gangster comedy. Like that is truly what is funny to him. And then when you see the real crime boss, he's also like over the top comedic. He puts on the hat that's too big for him. That was yeah. fun. The sketch was not the unfunniest thing in the world to me when the car came through with a practical effect. That was pretty cool. The, the car coming through. <laughs> We're on the second floor. That, that That's a joke. That joke. That, that's a good joke. You're lucky we're on the second floor at Slotum Dab. That's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Because, oh. wait a second, what? <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Even if it slowed him down, which, by the way, he seemed to show up pretty quick. Yeah. <laughs> How did the car come through the wall on the second floor? Right. <laughs> Alec, you, you're still going to tear this thing down? Oh my God, you too. Well, see, Sean, at least you're being ironic. I think this Julius Sharp guy, you, you were you were in a good mood when you watched this. I liked the sketch. Listen, the sketch, and then when the the real mob boss put on the too big hat, yeah, did okay. I uh, chortle? Sure, it looked pretty good. The fact that he you, you, doesn't uh, realize no that way it's you, over his eyes and just walks out. You couldn't out. see that joke coming when they hung up their hats right next to each other. <laughs> Had no idea that joke was coming. You're out. professional. <laughs> At the I time that people were watching this movie, they had never seen a gag like that. I thought Goldie was going to come on here and just rail about Peter O'Toole's teeth. Have, have you well, the hair is, I want to talk about the wig when have, we get to it. Have you found this, Alec, because I think we should get this out of the way. I know you, you seem to be surprised at Goldie's take. Yeah. Have you found that it is impossible to predict Goldie's reaction to movies? No, I actually... I, because I, I feel I felt like I was pretty good at it, but not today. Well, I would think you would like this movie. Conversely, I know. Well, yeah, and that's kind. Of, you're saying that in an insulting way. <laughs> no, I you would it. just say I, like you grew I, up watching well, it. You were it. there with your mom. She carried you in. Maybe she carried <laughs> you out because you were ten and you were only like 120 pounds, and that. <laughs> You know, I was carried out of ET. That's what he's referring to. <laughs> yeah, his mom my carried mom... him out of ET. If I talk, yeah. About it, I so that's what he's refer. That's to what he's referring. He mm -hmm. was maybe you got 11. too scared. I was. I was a puddle. Mm -hmm. I was wrecked. Yeah. When ET ET died. Oh, you were crying. I was wrecked. Yeah. I was wrecked. Very sad. Yeah. Okay. It's like, and Goldie likes to bring that up often. <laughs> Mm -hmm. being carried out of he also, movies that came way later. His mom also carried him out of Brassed Off. Wow. <laughs> I don't I don't usually know whether you're going to like a movie or not. I feel like you have uh one of your comedy gifts is also something of a curse in mm -hmm. that you like will generate a very specific take instantly on something so it'll be like I've, I think I've referenced this before that like you saw the Steve Jobs movie and you were like, he washed his socks in the toilet. Feet. Like, he stuck <laughs> his, feet. his feet in the toilet. You're like, nothing else can happen in that movie. Everyone should be discussing that. The whole time. It's a very funny angle on the movie. But it, it also becomes like, 
you have no opinion on the movie other than just like no one should deal with anything except the fact that this guy washes feet in the toilet, which we cannot do without having it be like a big chunk of the dialogue. Right. Well, I'm going to give you a, a, a hotter take, a newer yes. take. The Bear. Uh-huh. Episode one. The guy trades jeans for meat. I'm out. <laughs> there, there's no one in the world you can call and go, hey, you have some meat? I, I have some jeans denim. in my oven. Uh, let's meet in a weird place, and I'll give you the jeans, and you give me meat. And everyone's like, "Oh, it's genius!" You it's like, you you didn't work in the restaurant industry. Oh, I, I this is what's can. happening. I was yeah. a dishwasher at one point. <laughs> I was too. Yeah, there was no uh, no like, hey, I'll take the pants off my legs and give you that, and uh, you give me fifteen pounds of chicken. You're not on that side of it. You got to work your way off up my to trading jeans. Off my legs. <laughs> Uh, Goldie, give him, tell him your, uh, all you could talk about, about the movie Collateral. Uh, well, he could have just rented a car. <laughs> That's like, we, we were, I was talking about, wasn't this great? And Tom Cruise is a bad guy. He's like, dude, just rent a car. <laughs> that was his whole thing. It's fine. Just drive yourself. But I'm not, I'm not shocked you like this movie because the thing I do know is that, as bitter as Goldie can seem, you're a secret softy. A little bit. And yeah. you've told me that you're a secret softy. Yeah. I think we Secrets even shared out. enjoying Walter Mitty. I really liked Walter Mitty and I I did cry. As a secret softy, it spoke to me. Yeah. And so I connected to that, but I do feel like I would either you know, there would be movies that you would have watched when we were working together, and I would have maybe said like, "Oh yeah, I like that movie," and you'd be like, "Why didn't you tell me how fucking rancid that movie was?" <laughs> I'd be like, "Because I, I enjoyed it," but it would just be like something in the first ten minutes, like the jeans. You'd be like, "I'm out on." Well, this I have shit. no <laughs> education in movies. I I've watched like surprisingly few movies overall. I haven't seen Johnny Dangerously. When people refer to a movie. I would say 70% of the time I haven't seen it. Mm -hmm. And uh, so because I didn't grow up watching a lot of movies because my dad was born in 1920 and viewed them as sort of superfluous that until I was yeah. maybe 14, I saw three movies. Yeah. And then I made up for it later a little bit, but it wasn't like a big part of my upbringing. And so right. when I see movies, I don't kind of, it's not like, oh, it's so close to my heart because I saw it because of this, that. Yeah. It's just sort of like. I'm just watching them as, you know, a 50-year-old kind of going. It's a pure experience in a way. Yeah. There's no magic of movies. It's just no. at face value, is this entertaining me or is this not? You're There's not like no spotting magic. them anything. Yeah. And in fact, when people talk about the magic of movies, they're talking about eight scenes in all of movies. <laughs> <laughs> well, the Oscars puts them together every year. Yeah. When like Nicole Kidman is in that AMC thing, she sits down and she's like, you know, we all sit together in this magic moment. It's like most of the time, the vast majority of the time, there's no magic. And like you just <laughs> ate a bunch of popcorn and left. Sure. Yeah. Well, but, uh, but because you're saying you didn't watch them when you were young, I think as there's a a handful of movies that you collect in your like young and teenage years that then become important to you. Name three. For me? Yes. Well, I, I, I maybe talked about this before, but like when I was in high school or middle school, high school, there were a couple of movies. We had HBO. There were some movies that were playing constantly. So I watched Almost Famous, 
Boogie Nights and Goodwill Hunting. Those three movies, okay. I probably saw each of them like 30 times. And then anytime you went to a party at someone's house, Dazed and Confused would be uh, playing in the background, like had a real connection to that. Like there's just, I don't know, like those are movies that I, I memorized every word of. Like, so then I don't know if they have scenes that would be in the eight scenes you talked about that are the magic of movie making, but like, I have a connection to them. Those are great movies. Yeah, they're great. Yeah. And, but I also like, I was watching them at 16 over and over and over again. And so like, they're just burned into me. And then I, you know, I have a connection to movies through that. Yeah. But I have no education in film either. And um, that's part of why I like to talk about the writing on this and not film directing techniques or anything because i don't know shit about that well there weren't there wasn't much to talk about there (laughs) (laughs) well let's get into the movie officially um uh uh the 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 director who which we can't talk about was an actor and all of us failed performers and wannabe actors here in this room can maybe take solace in the fact that this guy was the real deal he starred in multiple like big movies and he pivoted to directing um i'm the one guy who doesn't want to direct like if they said oh you could direct i would just say uh why why would i want to do that no yeah seems hard the one job that's worse than mine no (laughs) (laughs) no um no thank you uh so we we begin the movie we have a a lovely opening credit sequence it's nat king cole over some drawings um <laughs> we hear that a buick was we a hear buick. about the cars the now cars my first thing for you we're in 30 rock does it bring back yes. memories for either of you oh it did you both worked in 30 rock did this it ring did. true i mean it's oh. it is a nostalgic place and it's a beautiful building and i yeah i mean i was a page at snl mm-hmm. um so yeah, I did feel that connection, and I I think it's a a cool place to set stuff. Mm-hmm. What about this for your biography? From page to the blank page. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of don't get how those two things are. Oh, I see. You page. You started as a page. page. Yeah, yeah. And then you conquered the blank page. I think people will not put together. <laughs> that page isn't the same as the page you're talking about in the second. No, yeah, you'd need the context. What about yeah. this? <laughs> <laughs> From NBC what about this? page. The cover of the book is a little video that plays with me explaining uh-huh. why I call it this. Well, we could do what this movie does and say, few people know that NBC pages, like, well, they're just yeah. a bunch of narration up top. Well, as it, I wonder if at the time people really were like, oh, they call it 30 Rock. Like, it wasn't. Like he says, like I worked at Thirty Rock. I bet they were, Plaza. and 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 you go like, yeah, I fucking know. Not in nineteen eighty two. In eighty two, it probably was like, oh, I'm inside showbiz. This movie's giving me yeah. the real dirt. Um, so yes, it's a magical place, Alec. You worked at I SNL. Kept, as I well. kept imagining because they had uh, they did shoot some stuff in and around Thirty Rock and on the streets of New York, and all I could picture was the. 1982 angry traffic jam that was caused by the shooting of this movie Uh (laughs) to some cab driver four blocks back like what the fuck is happening up there (laughs) they're shooting my favorite year it's a delightful whimsical comedy with uh 
Are they introducing Mark Lynn Baker up there? <laughs> yeah, they, they better. <laughs> he better be good. <laughs> uh, who's uh, yeah, in no, it? Mark Lynn Baker. Pro- never heard of him. You will. <laughs> <laughs> Trust me. Um, so the opening of the movie, he's giving the narration, and then we get out of the narration, and he runs into the office, and he delivers the food. And these people, of course... Um, and it, you know, this is not accurate, right. To our writing experience. The staff writer is not someone who comes to deliver the food. That is a but separate this scene job. Is in, this scene is in every, everything that deals with comedy writing of that era and uh-huh. Jewish like writers room. There's always this scene, like you got the order wrong. Where's yeah. my bear claw? <laughs> you know, it's, uh, well, no, he got the bear claw instead. Yeah. Oh, that's, you're right. <laughs> yes. Thank you. I said, corrected. I just couldn't yeah, believe no, <laughs> how old the head writer was. That was <laughs> shocking to me. Well, that's how we used based to do it. Based on Neil Simon said. Oh. Based, uh, apparently that was based on Neil Simon. Okay. That character. But he's delivering the food and I I did think that because of the era, there was something I noticed that made a connection for me that I think the two of you will recognize as well, which is, you know, these are writers on a big hit TV show. They're some of the most privileged people that exist. And what do they get served? Tea and dry toast. Mm. Does it remind mm. you of the Beatles Get Back documentary where the, where the most famous rich people <laughs> in the world every day were being brought a tray of tea and dry toast? This was the peak of the human experience at that time. Yeah. Like, that was the highest you could get was that somebody brought you your tea and dry toast. It's just sort of a very creepy, quiet redhead would tiptoe next to you with a gold-plated toast caddy and, and sort of offer it using only two fingers. Uh-huh. Yeah, and you would and you would be blown away at how far you'd come oh. from Liverpool. <laughs> That's right. So this Look is... at us eating toast in the city. Can you believe it? <laughs> They'll bring you more. <laughs> Get as much of this toast as we want. <laughs> um then it cuts to uh the, I will we... say can I I'm sorry oh, go to ahead, interject, go ahead. but just the, his narration of who he was and how he got there. I already did kind of hate him a little bit. Well, he's talking about how much money he makes right away. Yeah. Which it's the 80s. So you have to remember. But 80s. That was cool. The 50s. Oh, right. Cool in the 80s. Talking about how much money you made in the 80s was the thing. Then in the 90s, you're not allowed to make any money because then you're a sellout. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And now it's like, I don't know anymore. Well, we'll have to have like 30 years of time to look back on it well now he'd be leveraging his personal brand as a staff writer on that show to yes know, do this he'd be talking about behind the scenes it would be a stepping stone to like some behind sort the of scenes like, of whatever that show is probably called be making a podcast <laughs> or four <laughs> so he yeah he he lays out who he is how he got the job he's like i know all of a sudden i'm a staff writer on a hit comedy show and i make more than the rest of my family in a week yeah, I make more than they do in a fucking year. Yeah. <laughs> no, I piss on my relatives. All those people no, who fought in World that. War II, I fucking out-earn them, and I'm only 21. <laughs> I'm fucking jacking around with a bunch of old guys. That is uh, your introduction. Then he gets into the office, and we find out who the host is this week. He works for a your show of shows yeah. type show. Yeah. 
Um, so there's, you know, uh, a core comedy star, um, King Kaiser, who is the star of it. And then there's a new guest every week. And the guest this week is one of the biggest, most famous movie stars, established screen heroes, a guy, Alan Swan, played by Peter O'Toole, who our narrator worships. And then he sits in the room while they scrub through highlights of all of this guy's movies and everyone else shits on how fucking awful the movies are, which I do think is something real that they've captured about the writer's room experience where invariably something you like will get like ripped apart (laughs) and insulted by everyone you work with to a point that you're just kind of like quiet about it. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it was... It, they that was their internet was that they would have a giant film strip a big like reel to reel yeah but i i do want to point something out that they say the king kaiser show that that this jackie gleason and sid caesar were the biggest thing in the world being watched by 50 million americans every week everyone had their sets tuned to them all the time except apparently for peter o'toole's character who doesn't realize that it's a live show. That Oh yeah. That, yeah. That, but it is the biggest show in the world, but somehow the biggest movie star in the world has no idea. But some people don't still don't realize that Saturday Night Live is live and it's in the name. Okay. Now I don't think the hosts don't realize it. Yeah. But Peter O'Toole's got bigger fish to fry. Sure. Mhm. He's a little bit he's a little bit disconnected. Yeah. yeah. King Kaiser looked exactly like my dad looked at the time, Joe Bologna. Joe Bologna. I struggle to think who King Kaiser is an equivalent for because he is portrayed as like a really fucking tough dude. You know what I mean? Like he's like standing up to these sort of like mobbed up gangsters who come into the office. He ends up fist fighting a bunch of them yeah. and doing pretty well. And he's also this huge comedy star. Like, I don't know. I, it's not an Is archetype Gary I Marshall? Know because Gary Marshall, I heard in the writer's room, used to say, you know, if whoever gets the blow to the scene, I'll buy you a sweater. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that, that, I, that stuff was kind of funny to me. So he's... <laughs> He he comes in. There's a, a head writer who is informed that the monologue has been thrown out. He immediately like takes this huge moral stand. And he's like, if they don't if they change the monologue, I'm walking off the show. I'll never take this note, basically. And then the second that his actual boss comes in and goes like, I don't like the monologue. He's like, yeah, it's gone. It's terrible. What are we doing? That was funny. Mm-hmm. That Yes, that's funny. And I think that's also uh somewhat accurate representation of something that happens in writer's rooms where you get a set of notes and everyone talks about how uh, it's the stupidest thing they've ever heard and they're never going to change it. And these fucking idiots just have to like learn what real comedy is and come around. And then within an hour, it's like, oh, let's do something else. It's yeah. Like, whatever. Yeah. yeah. Not well, worth we, the fight. We, we had uh, uh, our David Goodman, mm-hmm. you know, ran family guy for a long time. And, and Danny Smith, who's been a writer there forever very funny does this impersonation of david doing exactly the scene you just described yeah. where he would be talking to seth with one tone of voice like this and then he'd talk to the register like this put it in 
So it was always like a turn of thing. Like, you like that? Did that work? Put it in the script. (laughs) So it's like that. Right away, he's like, timid, tough, timid, tough. Yeah. So that that goes down. And then uh, King Kaiser is so hard on the head writer that then he walks over to like his assistant or whatever. And he goes, I was pretty tough on him. We should get him something. Let's get him a set of tires. Yeah, <laughs> the yeah. specifics of what he was buying for his uh, employees, who he um, either was sexually harassing or trying to apologize to, I thought were good specifics because he wanted to get that guy a set of tires. Then there was a joke I maybe don't understand where he says to the female writer, did you like the shoes I set you? And she said, yes, but they were the wrong size and they were used. Yeah. Yeah. What does that mean? <laughs> I would have been, I mean, pitching in both those areas on different things King Kaiser could buy. Like, what are just other things King Kaiser could buy? Yeah. Oh, God. I would have been so helpful in the room coming up with what he could buy. I would, ha- I would have brought so many nouns. Yeah. I think the shoes <laughs> joke is an old, old joke. Right. Like, I, I just think it's just, I think it's like a pre-existing, very old joke about, like, you they couldn't be worse. Like, how are they? They're great, except these two terrible things. Like, I, I think that's it. She's like, I loved them. He goes, then why'd you send them back? And she said, well, they were the wrong size and they were used, which didn't line up for me with the other things he was buying for people. Well, does that mean maybe he had a lady friend who left her shoes and he tried to Re-get and then he just or? was like, "Let me send them to this other woman." I, I think you've, I think you've solved it. <laughs> I don't want to move on. This is important. <laughs> um, I do like. I thought maybe you, this would be something that would connect with you, Goldie. The um, sort of idealized version of showbiz that is portrayed, where it's like you walk out of the writers' room and there's just like people in crazy costumes everywhere. We're nowhere near like filming the show, but just like someone's dressed up as a pack of cigarettes. I like, and, like that. Somebody, yes. Yeah. yeah. I like the uh, yeah. pack of cigarettes. I thought that was a cool costume. Yeah. Can I, I have a, I have a, I, cause I looked at the IMDb trivia on this movie and I have an interesting factoid about who was in that cigarette box. Okay. And this is why we bring you in. (laughs) Does the name Lana Clarkson mean anything to either of you? Oh yes. Get the hell out of here. (laughs) No, I don't know. That was her. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you don't know? I don't. Oh, uh, tell Spectre. Ah, shot her in the mouth. No, she kissed the gun. (laughs) All right. That was his alibi. Right. But mm-hmm. so this was the this was the mm-hmm. woman that just a scant 20 years later would be shot in the mouth she, by Phil Spector. She kissed the gun. What a story. Yeah. yeah. But I do love what you're saying. That idea of walking down the hallway and there are women dressed up in like, you know, Rio Carnival outfits, like yeah. always. I was surprised you- for a PG movie at how how risque some of the stuff is, too, because the writer does walk out and sees... R.I.P. Lana Clarkson and a cigarette <laughs> outfit. She's got like her legs sticking out of a cigarette box, and he goes like, "Hey, when are you gonna let me get in your box?" And I was yeah. like, "Fuck!" Well, I watched I mean, this movie it, with my mom. I don't think I knew what was going on at the time, but Jesus! And the writers chasing his his girlfriend slash non girlfriend into the ladies' room. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why and then he's like the proposes hall. to her, and then he's like mad that the other woman is using the toilet. He's like. 
It's a very that was a very odd sequence where I just couldn't figure out were they dating and she had grown cold on it, so he was asking her to go back out with them or were No, they he had dating? decided he was in love with her. She had said, I am not interested in you. And then as as movies portray at the time, he just sort of kept <laughs> then- bothering her and <laughs> like four, forced... 40 cartons of chinese food later they were in love <laughs> they got a great amount of chinese food so yeah well, are we going to talk about the date or let's touch later? on the date okay because this is the dream date the the date is incredible so like basically marklin baker is chasing down this woman he really wants to date her part of the story is that peter o'toole is teaching him while he's teaching peter o'toole he's teaching him about family and the value of like real life and connection because Peter O'Toole is so drunk and disconnected from everything. And then Peter O'Toole is teaching him the ways of seducing women. And like his advice is to be mysterious sort of, which we don't see get played out at all. Um, And, uh, and Peter O'Toole does not have that luxury. He's so well known, but also he finally does manage to get a date with this woman by like making her a diorama. Um, he sends her like a note that says like, sorry, I attacked you in the women's bathroom. Um, <laughs> let's, you know, let's have dinner and a movie. And she's like, okay, this is more like it. And then they order. Yeah. 300 cartons of Chinese food. And she goes, this is your idea of dinner and a movie. And it's them sitting in his boss's office with like a movie on a projector, one of uh, Peter O'Toole's movies, of course, Alan Swan's movies, and they're eating a bunch of Chinese food that he ordered. So what, I have a take on it, but what did you want to say? So first there's the beautiful double sexual harassment of not only pestering this woman into going, sex pesting this woman into going Uh out with you, but then doing it in your actual place of work. Yes. So the dates at, at yeah, work. that just feels like, you know, a judge is like, I'm just adding 10 more years for that. That's just such a gross <laughs> violation. But then the sort of male fantasy that this date is first you mansplain to her what Chinese food is like. She doesn't know anything. So you get to explain everything. First, yeah. you go, here's Chinese food. It's like, wow. And then you go, and See, here's you a really joke. know your stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and here's a joke. This is dim sum. And now oh you try God. to tell it. <laughs> yeah, you try to tell it like, okay, I'm going to. And then you get to point out every way she tells the joke wrong. And then you get to show her a movie and tell her why it's great. Yeah, I so <laughs> there's so, no personality on her at all. My feeling was, yeah, well, she says like everyone else who works here is funny. And he goes, you're funny. And she's like, when am I funny? And then he realizes this woman that he's in love with. He's like, I actually don't think you're funny at all. I think you I think you suck. I'm only attracted to you like independent of your personality. Then he goes, "Well, I'll if teach you, you to be funny. I'll tell you I'll I'll tell you a joke and I'll then make you, you into tell who you to need me, to be for me and I'll like bully you." But the the thing I my little take is that of course they portray a whole series of things that are sexual harassment in the movie and I think that they're awful and I, i'm glad that we've moved on but i am a little sad that i missed out on the era where mansplaining a joke to someone and then t- 
talking over a movie that I like that they don't want to watch is considered the most romantic date they've oh my ever God. been on. You would have been I the George Clooney. I would I'd be <laughs> so got... good at that. <laughs> like... there, was, there was that weird moment where she got lost in his eyes for no reason yeah. after he had been doing all that stuff. You just he's just said. saying I... the dialogue over the movie. He's seen the movie a lot of times. He's just talking during the movie and she's like, <laughs> I'm loving this. He knows the movie he picked. <laughs> <laughs> I was also very annoyed. I don't know if you noticed that they're like, okay, now let's watch this movie. It starts in the middle. It didn't start anywhere near the beginning. Well, well they also, yeah, he also yeah. ate two dumplings out of 400 and declared them done. <laughs> yeah. I like to like, this guy apparently is one of the biggest movie stars in the world that to go back to them, watch the movie, like the way they prep for his appearance as a host is they watch clips of sword fights from his movies. Like yeah. we're going to have to write a sword fight sketch for this guy. Let's see what they look like. It's like, yeah. dude, none of you have ever seen the fucking movie or no, you've seen it and you love it. You've seen it and you hate it. And you're just watching <laughs> clips watch like this will help the sketch. Like, <laughs> this is just information for the audience. Yeah, you're right. I mean, what you touched on uh, earlier, Alec, is true. Is like it does feel like writing movies and comedy used to be so much easier that like Ugh. no one would call you out for doing the most lazy like handhold. Just stuff. Okay, audiences so were so delighted by the m most broad things. It's a romantic know? scene, so she doesn't know anything. Okay, so uh, he explains to her. <laughs> like, is there is there stuff that was cut out of the scene where it's like he's explaining to her? This is a door to a room. We're about to go into a room. It, these, uh, you know, sometimes you push them in. Other times you pull them out. It, sometimes you don't even know before, you know, you do it, which one it is. So I'll let you try. And then she tries to go, no, wrong. Okay, let me now, show you. Before you sit down, <laughs> this is a chair. You're going to need to turn around because your act is going to feel crazy to you. The back of you goes here. It's, if you try to sit down like this, you'll either fall onto the floor or you'll end up laying on the chair. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty cool that this, this is portrayed as a good romance and that she actually really goes for it. And the problem before was that he wanted to propose and get married. The solution is he should just explain everything to her. Um... <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I wish that was still what dating was. <laughs> so I think uh, one thing I wanted to ask you guys from your real experience is he, to back up, Peter O'Toole shows up. He's a hopeless drunk. They like, they're like, he landed, but we haven't seen him. He shows up. He is cartoonishly drunk. His acting when he's just being a famous actor is, is not bad. Obviously, Peter Toole. There's a meta experience here where he, he is Lawrence of Arabia. Yeah. He is one of the greatest screen heroes ever in one of the most famous movies of all time. And he is here clowning it up and doing this like goofball bullshit as his his star has fallen somewhat. So yes. that's kind of cool that they like got yep. him to do it and parody himself. But when he is playing drunk, it is so huge. Like it is this like Shakespearean stage actor's idea of playing drunk yeah. where it's like he's like you know like eyes crossed like whoa my dear boy <laughs> well arthur arthur gave everyone license to be <laughs> drunk like that so i blame arthur a little bit because that had come out like maybe two years before so i think the idea of like this i've British... heard enough 
We do not blame Arthur in this in this studio. Did you, as I did, the first moment he was on screen, uh, Google his birth year to see how old he was? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't, but that's. I'm glad that you did. What was it? So he's. 50 he is my oh age my now oh no in this movie and well, i get thought it all he was, out. talk about his hair talk about his teeth let's do all of it i here. thought he was 70 ridiculous. yeah right except the yeah. one thing he did that very spry somersault onto the table he does yeah I applaud. Mm-hmm. he looked very good but if i was at, drunk could i do this yeah which <laughs> i enjoyed yeah but i thought Oh, you know, he was probably born in 1918 or so, but I'm just going to check. And then I was shocked. Um, The quality of the wig as a bald man, you know, that's the first thing my eye is drawn Uh to. And it just is. The color in particular. Doesn't line up, doesn't doesn't track. No, not a color in nature. (laughs) No, no. The wig's not looking great. No, Um, the teeth were worse. He's an odd looking guy. Well, the, that's the thing. There was a time mm-hmm. where he was stunningly beautiful. Like he yeah, was well, Lawrence in of Lawrence, Arabia, right? in Lawrence like, of Arabia. He it's looks like, like that's eight. part of the idea yeah. of the movie is that everyone is like instantly in love with this guy. Like, so he's yes. able to do, he's able to be this great adventurer. Did you notice when they did like an intentional half quarter assed nod to Lawrence of Arabia with when the, he stole the horse. With the weird sun. Yeah, like, the sunset. There's like a lens flare where it's like, but it's not a sunset. It is, they're filming in the park. It's mid-afternoon. And then the sun like washes out the frame. Yes. And then the sun disappears. And then it's still mid-afternoon and they're just riding away. They just sort of <laughs> had the idea. And they were like, should we do it? And it's like, kind of? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, did I did notice that. And I was, I was... Like, it's not subtle because it's so clumsy, but it's right. also, like, not clear, clear. what's happening. Not clear. So not all. having seen Lawrence of Arabia, uh-huh. oh. <gasps> I liked that moment. That the sun came in? Well, <laughs> yeah. him stealing the horse is, like, uh, that was not fun. terrible. Yeah. Lawrence of Arabia, my mother-in-law's favorite movie. It's referenced all the time. <laughs> I love when the cop went to take a leak and that's how they could steal his horse. Yes. So then he ran out of the bushes like, hey, hey. another very broad moment. Um, I, but so he comes in so drunk and then Ken Kaiser's like, he's fired. He's not doing the show. We got to find somebody else. And Marklin Baker stands up for him. And he's like, but this guy's my hero. We've got to give him a chance. And then they agree to give him a chance. And they say, but he's your responsibility. You, your job is to watch this actor now. Do you, I know this is an extreme and very kind of fake example of like having to like live in the hotel room with the actor. Do you have experiences babysitting or handling talent on set? Hmm. I mean, unless, unless Goldie and I can count working for Craig every day. Uh huh. <laughs> I mean, I think he needed to be coddled in a way, but nothing like that. Yeah. No, well, he's talking about were you ever assigned well, was it like, yeah, someone. as part of, yeah, it's like, it's handling talent. Uh, so I have a story that I, I referenced on um, another show and, and we'll, we'll see if using names comes back to bite me someday when I need this person's help. But I know someone, I, I know someone who worked on a show where Dax Shepard was one of the stars and that when he was in a bad mood, 
there was a writer who they would send to set to talk to him about trucks because he loved like cars and trucks so much that they would like they would be like hey man can and it was like the writer like also was into that so they were like can you just go like kind of like get him started talking about trucks and then he would just be in a good mood and like be a delight and then like do a scene and then come up and be like oh when they're big like just like and the wheels are so tall <laughs> like they would just like get engaged and it was so funny to me but it reminded me of like oh yeah sometimes as a writer your job has nothing to do with writing it's just like there's an actor who you need to be a certain way around or like just deal with even sometimes in the writing like i worked with someone where i realized they would reject a script or have problems with a script if without reading it when they looked at the page their lines didn't look big enough yeah and like it was like and they were like, I don't know, something's not working about this. And it was just like, <sighs> oh yeah, you could give them the same amount of information and just like extend, like just add a couple sentences and have like, I need a glass of water. Be like, man, I'm thirsty. You know what I could go for? I need something to quench my thirst. Water, please. <laughs> That's what would hit the spot. And you just go like, great. This now, now all of a sudden they're like, this is feeling good to me. <laughs> it's like, oh, you just need more space. Um, but I wanted to ask about that. And then this is one that I think that you would have more uh, experience with because I feel like Goodman had a story about. So basically, they're portraying this real life gangster on the show, and he's so mad that he shows up to um, complain about his portrayal. And because Family Guy has hit so many celebrities over the years, have you ever had to deal with like an angry incoming call? I think David Goodman dealt with Shatner once. Is that right? Yes. And it, not me personally, but again, the writer I referenced earlier, Danny Smith, for some reason, he became like our designated guy when people would call in and complain. So there are two examples that are jumping to mind. One is Jerry Lewis. We got um, a permission or we wanted to get permission to use a live action Jerry Lewis clip for Family Guy. And so... It got all the way up the chain to Jerry himself, and Jerry called in angrily because of um, two words in the contract, in perpetuity, baby, I don't like it. <laughs> like, And he was just going off for, you know, however long, and Danny had to just kind of nod and get him to a place where it's like, we're only going to air it once and blah, blah, blah. But the other one was we put a joke in, uh, we got licensed to use uh from bob seeger one of his songs mm -hmm. and then what what he didn't see because i don't know if it was not included in the page we sent him or he just didn't his people didn't read thoroughly was that just a second later one of the guys compares you know when bob seeger is singing he sounds like he's taking a dump mm -hmm. out the window of a moving car yeah and so then there was an, a very angry call from bob seeger like the week after that aired and Danny Smith had to again assure him we're, we're all big fans here, Bob. I don't know how that got through, you know, like, <laughs> it's all that kind of stuff. That was, <laughs> that was improvised. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, one of the excuses I know he's used in the past is some of these younger writers, dot, dot, dot. Mm -hmm. He just, well, they, yeah, you're talking to Jerry Lewis or yeah. Bob Zeger. They're like, yeah, young people. 
Yeah. It's like, <laughs> they do not know. I feel like I'm the last person that would ever be tasked with that assignment, given my generally off-putting personality. Oh, God, you don't want me in charge. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's not, not really known for putting people at ease. My wife recently said, you are whatever the opposite of a people pleaser is. <laughs> Never trying to make anyone more comfortable. But I've seen it when, that when, you, when you do try to make someone comfortable, it's so it's over the top it's that it, it comes off as parody. Everything feels completely insincere. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, this is a lifelong problem for me. Yeah. Where um, <laughs> people think I'm being sarcastic when I'm being sincere. And then, like, when I overcompensate with sincerity, it feels, like, even more uh, insulting. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's we'll deal with it. I'm doing okay. You guys are my but friends, But also, right? as, a, as, a, as a showrunner, you know, the notion that you would just tap some young writer who may or may not be doing their job and go... You know, here's like the most important thing of the week with the most important talent. You're in charge. Like that just <laughs> yeah. doesn't. The guy who delivered him. my lunch. Let's have him be in charge. <laughs> right. Of this. And he got it wrong. <laughs> oh yeah. Um. Yes. That. Uh. That is insane. The whole premise, maybe, is totally insane. I think. Uh, one thing that rang false to me was that the actor that he admires most in the world, this young writer who is our star immediately says that he read his script and thinks it's funny. That's unrealistic to me. <laughs> I do not think when you meet a famous person who you like, they go like, I love your thing. That's not my experience. <laughs> um, uh, then we have, I wanted to talk a little bit about this restaurant scene where Peter O'Toole walks in and is in love with this woman who is, uh, you know, love at first sight, Taken. wants to seduce this woman who is there with sort of like a gangstery looking guy. Mm -hmm. Um, and he kind of says to Marklin Baker, like, basically, like, I'm going to seduce this woman by the end of the night. And even that he's going to need a distraction at some point. Oh, and yeah. he knows what the ultimate turn on is for this woman. She's making eyes, but she's able to resist him until he slow dances with an old lady. Yeah. yeah. That's that his move. <laughs> he grabs move. an old lady and starts slow dancing with her. And then she is looking to fuck because who could ever say no to that i really liked the actual dancing with the old lady and was the dance is good in terms of a cinematic thing you see the charm of this guy and you see the look in her eyes i thought she acted it well that you know in a movie i thought that was a good scene if you did if you took the ends off either end well, you're saying right it's like this person is famous he gets women because he's famous and then someone comes over and asks for like an autograph and he's like i'll do better than an autograph like i'll come or to say hi he's like i'll do better than say hi like and he gives her a dance yes like, wow, it was very love boat celebrity love. yeah <laughs> i i struggled for a um a wish i wrote it moment in this um but i will say oh, yeah. probably my favorite something. dialogue exchange that happened was um Peter O'Toole then seduces that woman and they end up getting arrested for being naked in a fountain in Central Park. And the next day, the writers are reading the newspaper story about his arrest. And again, I was surprised that this language existed at all, I guess, in 1982 in this structure and that they would put it in a movie that was this tame. Uh, the head writer is like, he's supposed to be... Uh, 
I'm supposed to be working on a comedy show, not working with some washed up jabroni with his schlong hanging out. <laughs> <laughs> washed up jabroni with his schlong hanging out was a great line. Also didn't mind that. It's one of those he's standing right behind me moments where that Peter O'Toole is there and goes, sir, what I do with my schlong is entirely my business. Was there also then a cut to the hot dogs? Uh, yes. Yes. They see the hot dogs and then a woman goes, and how's business? And he goes, better than ever. <laughs> like, this is pretty funny. Uh, I thought it was pretty good. Um, so I, I did like that moment. Um there's a couple there's a couple other scenes to talk about, but since I hit my wish I wrote it, do you guys want to do yours? Sure. Um yeah. what was your big thing? So I thought there was one very good joke in the Brooklyn apartment scene. It was uh-huh. a visual gag where word has gotten out that Alan Swan is in the building, and then you hear ding dong, and it's and and Morty's there, Uncle Morty, and then he, they open the door uh, a minute later, and then his wife is there in her wedding dress. I thought that was very, very funny. That is good. I really <laughs> only worn once? genuine laugh yeah. that she got I in think... her wedding dress only worn once. That was great. Yeah, that, that was, was good. good. I think just since we're sitting on that scene, I could have realistically been cast as a hallway Jew. When they open the door to reveal all the Jews in the hallway, the I could entire have been neighborhood has come to been buried in, the hallway. in there. Yeah. Um, there were a couple of lines that I wanted to point out. I think ultimately I would probably pick the line, I'm not an actor, I'm a movie star, because I feel like that's a pretty good pretty that, good line at the time. You know, I think it was sort of like that a, monologue I, is 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 great. Yeah, like that yeah. or that yeah, that moment, that scene is really good. Um I yeah, I also liked um when in that Brooklyn dinner scene. It was just a very subtle thing that the the mom threw in there. She said, uh, when your father passed away and eventually died. <laughs> like, I thought that was a funny, a funny way of yeah, saying it. Yeah, that was good. And then also there was a delivery thing that I think on the page is not funny, but that Uncle Morty, who had, by the way, every uncle in Jewish uncle in movies is either Lou or Morty. And so the, when Uncle Morty was like, I, can I ask you a personal question? And then everyone's like, no, don't do it. Yes. And he says about the paternity test. And then they're all shouting at each other. But the uncle shouts way louder than everyone. He goes, did you go all the way? <laughs> <laughs> I kind of thought that was funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was really good. Um, yeah. yeah, that, yes, the scene. So, yeah, that was the you want me to bring Alan Swan to Brooklyn uh, yep. moment where uh, Brooklyn at that time um, was not cool. And of course, has become nope. incredibly cool very. and then stopped being cool again. And also um, yeah. very similar to The Office, really, if we're parsing it like, you know, The Office is one place where it's supposedly very sophisticated and then Brooklyn's crazy and it's like. These two things appear very lateral. Yes, to yeah. the uneducated eye. Yeah, he's been hanging out in this same sort of tone the entire time. So I don't think it'll be that much of a culture shock for him. Um, that's true. Look, we touched on the sexual harassment. Do we want to talk about his mom's new husband being a Filipino boxer? Uh, no, that was I don't. Rough. I. I don't know. Why it just it was it was obviously uh, this film is in an era where there were um, often 
an offensive stereotype presented as like a character I've seen worse. Um, yeah, but it was uh, it was kind of weird and crazy. But the thing that I did really like is when they start talking, uh, Marklin Baker and his mom start talking about a fight that he lost and he overhears the name of the guy that he fought and then just like springs up and starts saying, he's like, he's like, he's a bum. I'll fight him right now. This is funny that this guy like just still holds on to this one fight and like has to like stand up for his like honor that he could actually beat this guy. Um, so, you know, they detail. gave him a little bit of a character. There was a moment of very bad direction in that where, okay, so the joke is, are you still in the fight game? Uh-huh. And the way to do the joke is, yes, I'm married. Yeah. Like, that's yeah. all it takes. Yes. But then, they, I, for whatever reason, the footage they had was the guy going, yes, I am. I am still married to his mother. Like it was, it, it unfolded so slowly, and you saw it coming, and just the get out of the way. Yeah. Like no, it was, it was a particularly bad moment of filmmaking, right there. <laughs> there were a few of those. Um, one thing. So this obviously has been done a million times since, and probably was even old at the time. They do. Uh, they're preparing to scale a building, Oof. and it's pretty crazy. They're gonna like walk down the side of a building, and then. Mark Lynn Baker makes reference to something that happened to Alan Swan and Alan Swan says, that is a movie. This is real life. Or maybe it's the other way. I think maybe, oh, Alan yeah. Swan says like, I, I, I've done this before. I know how to do this. And Mark Lynn Baker goes like, that's a movie. This is real life. And the line is spoken as they lean over the balcony and it's shot upward with the fakest green screen yeah. <laughs> sky background I've ever seen Terrible. in my life. So while that joke is totally overdone, in this movie, it felt like there was another layer to it that maybe made it better. <laughs> well, that also makes me think of, I, I believe, on the way to the party after leaving Brooklyn, because they had already done the narration trick up top, that they're, they, they just go to a shot of the Brooklyn Bridge, and there's just this, the clunkiest ADR exposition yes. dialogue. Yes. About what's about yes. to unfold. It's yes, I noticed that too. It was so obviously added later. Like, people don't understand what they're doing. What can we do? Like, we're going to make a grand entrance. You know? Yeah, and she'll be there. <laughs> and like, they had to explain that the, the girlfriend, in quotes, would be there, which I guess is why they were going to. Yeah. Because they're all wired to go into this thing and have a second well, date and then, that at a party that he's not invited to. And yeah. then all that, they go. The, the end joke is they go drop in on the wrong party, which is weird because then you never actually get any scene with the girlfriend, which believe me, by this point in the movie, I was thrilled that we didn't have like another scene coming, yeah. but mm -hmm. it was just weird to set all that up just for the fire hose. But there was a we very actually, good joke in that scene, yeah. which is that do you, do you know the actor Alan Swan, I think he's beneath us. And no, of course he is. He's an actor. <laughs> yeah, that was a terrible joke. That's a great joke. Oh, no, because nobody talks like that. I think he's beneath us. If he was right over the ledge, that's yeah. not what you would say. He's right there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's a, yeah, it's it's tough. I um, I did want to say uh, another thing 
Goldie, you could speak to this maybe. A scene that I liked similar to the like, I'm not a, uh, I'm not an actor, I'm a movie star, is when they have their exchange in the park and Marklin Baker talks about his mom being disappointed that he has like changed his name to be like cooler and more acceptable um, uh, and like look better on screen. And then Alan Swan tells this whole story of, because his name is like Benjamin Steinberg and he made it Benji Stone. Yeah. Um, and Alan Swan tells this whole story about this young actor who didn't have as cool of a name, although it sounded fine. Clarence to me. Duffy or something. Yeah, Clarence Duffy, yeah. right. And that he, you know, kind of had his career flame out and that he then changed his name and got rehabilitated and got made into a star. And um, uh, Benji Stone says, so you're not Alan Swan? And he goes, Oh yes, I am. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Badass. I thought that was good. I that thought was that was good. really cool. <laughs> Where it's like, as Goldie yeah. would say, that's his boss bitch moment. That is, yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, I would say but, hashtag boss bitch, but yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Right, right. He grew up. By the way, Peter, him. Peter, just to that point, Peter O'Toole absolutely put this movie on his back. Yes. I mean, he nobody was close to him in terms of acting and again i was pretty clear up front i did not enjoy this but when we got to the end and he had a couple of real speeches yeah i was like you know what he totally won me back and i was kind of invested but for the last like 10 minutes there's the yeah there's the thing of like oh yes i am really alan swan and they steal the horse and they have and that he's like becoming his persona and then he has the meltdown about going yes. on live TV. He shows up. He's going to be on uh, on the show. He's going to do it. He's ready. He finds out that it's live. Don't know how he didn't know, but he can't do it. He can't go out there. And then he has another kind of breakdown and like real like human moment where like yes. Benji Stone kind of convinces him like that he's he he needs to, as he said earlier be alan swan be this larger than life person like don't be actual size uh and then it coincides with the gangster that they're making fun of has very easily sent a bunch of goons in to beat up the host of the show <laughs> who then right is fist fighting them for 45 minutes no security <laughs> no security whatsoever no one notices no one fighting. no one tries to interrupt no one says oh maybe we should do something about this yeah he's they're just fighting on stage for a long time and um alan swan has been convinced and in that moment that he like you know cuts down one of the like curtain ropes from the refs and like swoops in and swashbuckles his way to save the day i liked that I liked it, and I'll I'll ask you this: How long do you think, in the same scenario, James Corden is able to fight off those goons? <laughs> um, well, he's never in that position because because he only yells at waitresses. <laughs> Send these eggs back, then he's on fire. Egg. By the way, that rope that rope that Swan swung down uh, swung down on was way too short. <laughs> like when they when they showed him like getting ready to swing down, I'm like that would Not be a disaster. It, yeah, yeah. Well, and it was pointing the long. wrong way. Well, it's, I I kind of found myself wondering because there was the the boss sketch, and then there was the three musketeers sketch. Yeah. So Swan comes out in the middle of the boss sketch in the three musketeers outfit, 
and then duels the guy. They duel the guys together and they punch him out. But there's, then there's a commercial, presumably, and they still have to do another sketch. They got to do the Three Musketeers yeah. sketch, so which are they, has been stepped on a little bit. Right. <laughs> so is that then just when they do the Three Musketeers sketch, not very funny to the audience because they've already had it revealed that he's one of the th- And they've just we've seen, seen a big, yeah, we've sword seen a more fight. realistic sword fight happen. Right. Um, yes, the show, the rest of the show is in trouble. <laughs> yeah. I do like that. I did like to the moment where he comes and he fights and he helps Joseph Bologna, uh, win the day that just Joe Bologna turns and goes, what took you so long? Yeah. <laughs> like, this is not their relationship. I liked it. It was very sweet. Like, cause he did have a moment where he had wanted to fire Alan Swan. Then he was convinced to keep him. And then as they finish rehearsing all week and it seems like it's going to be really fun. He's like, you know, I actually am a big fan of your movies. I love your stuff. And this has been really fun. So I guess they had some connection from that, but it was like, you, you invoked the ire of this very powerful person who then like sent people to beat up and maybe kill you. And then you're talking to this like drunk actor who was barely going to show up for the show. And you're like, why weren't you here faster? It's like, I guess it's a good line, but those are the you hardest, know you're in a movie? Those are the hardest lines to write. I remember when we were working on Ted, just afternoon after afternoon after when Giovanni kidnaps Ted and they just need like wisecracking lines for Ted to say as he's being kidnapped in the car and being held. And that during the fight and, and the chase up the like, you know, those quips during the action are impossible. Yeah. yeah, well, they, yes, they take away from the tension. Yeah, the they're action. never funny. They're they never work funny. 100%. They not work as well. No. Um, but sometimes you need them because the action on its own also doesn't have tension, and at least you have some quips. Yeah, well, something, someone needs to say Somebody's got to try something. Yeah. Let's at least have it be neither here nor there. Um, so I, uh, I liked that ending. Then, of course... We learned that this was a great year. It was the man's favorite year. And that part of the resolution is that Peter O'Toole, through this experience, has the courage to go and reunite with his estranged daughter. And I just thought, especially for you, Alec, that there was some very important Connecticut representation in this scene. (laughs) I know you are a proud con college camel. Oh, yeah. Camel. That's right. Did you know I used to go party up there, brother? Yeah, you said you were at uh, right across the street, right? Weren't you? Well, I grew up, you know, a little ways away, but I would, but yeah, I would drive up. What's what did was it? Did they have the same festival? Did we talk about it? Was it yeah, the Floral- Floralia? Floralia. Floralia. Yeah, yeah, Floralia. Yeah, I used to go to Floralia. Nice. I remember my senior year, Floralia, the diggable planets came to play. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and we were Pretty digging cool. that. Yeah, no, the, the, the whole daughter thing year. was. <laughs> that was yeah that was my the whole daughter thing was weird first of all it was not it, they said like and he hasn't seen her in a year that didn't seem that long for a guy like that i yeah. thought it was going to be like he hadn't seen her since she was born or since she was two or something but yeah it just whatever. seemed a little yeah flimsy. there's also this thing the way dads are portrayed sometimes in in that era of tv or movies that i once in a while will ask my wife so like I could just disappear for a decade, but 
as long as I kind of come back, I'm more than forgiven. It's like w- people are applauding me and going like, hey, this guy's Everyone's great. And I happy. can interrupt whatever domestic situation has, you know, had to evolve because of my absence and that they've coped and maybe gone on. And But then I reinsert myself and it's like, he's back. Yes. <laughs> Daddy's home. Because it's like, I'll just leave for two decades right now and then just come back and go, hey, if that's yeah, if that's all that welcome. matters is he came back. <laughs> Yeah. Well, again, we were born at the wrong time. I think we would have done. We would have been better. I would have been a more romantic, uh, better partner in this era because (laughs) I really like to explain jokes to people. Sean's great. He knows all the lines to every movie. Yeah, he knows the lines to the movie. And every 10 years he shows up and helps someone ride a bike. Um, (laughs) Oh, um, I had another thought um, uh, as we're we're almost wrapped up on this line where he does say i'm not an actor i'm a movie star and i wondered part of what he's saying right is of course we believe he started as some kind of stage actor like he had done stuff like that have you seen people pass a certain threshold of success or fame and then be unable to go backwards at all or do the thing that they did before and i'll tell you my version of this, which is I worked on the um, Ash versus Evil Dead TV show, and I got flown to New Zealand to watch Sam Raimi direct the pilot. Sam Raimi, you know, while I didn't study film, obviously, like an amazing director. And I was like, oh, wow, this guy's like, you know, he's like one of the original like indie filmmakers, like raise money from dentists to do this run and gun handheld thing with his friends. And it was like, I'm going to get to watch this guy direct. And so I go down to set and for literally over two hours, I watch him set and reset and film someone picking up a knife off a table. Oh. And just like the timing's not right. The push isn't right. The hands, <laughs> like the position. And I'm just watching this. And he had like three weeks or something to film this like 45 minute pilot. Like he had a tremendous amount of time. And I asked someone who worked with him, like, what? Why is it so slow? <laughs> and they were like, he did Spider-Man too. <laughs> like, he cannot <laughs> yeah. go backwards. Like he just, yeah. he was able to like move fast and do things like on a shoestring and like, just like go, go, go. And then once he had command of all of New York city and like thousands of extras and like all this giant budget, it was just like, this is how I work now. Yeah. And so I did think it was, it was an interesting, like it rang true for me that this guy's like, I'm a movie star. <laughs> like everything is done for me. I don't get one take. I don't do it in front of an audience. Like I right. do it completely in my own control. Um, and whether you had any experience with that. Well, I mean, I think to a certain extent, Seth MacFarlane believes that about himself in a weird way. I don't agree with it, but he always, when he talks now, because he, when he was in the Family Guy writer's room, he was the funniest guy in the room. He was mm-hmm. the funniest writer. He would, you know, so many of his, almost everything he pitched was, you know, good for the show. And I think that he feels that he can't do that anymore. Um, he sort of bemoans like, well, yeah, I just, I'm not, I'm not like that anymore. Like he thinks he's lost it, but right. it, I don't, I don't agree with that. We worked Much with like him Alan on Swan. that t- Ted show. Right. Right, he, he could swing he down. Uh, he's just he he's, swing down. he's out of practice. But yeah, right. Seth should swing in on a rope that's too yeah. short into the writers' room, 
That's right. And just start pitching some Stewie lines. And I, me turning to him, what took you so long? <laughs> <laughs> Imagine that day at work. <laughs> I would love it. <laughs> what took you so long? And then a sort of just knowing glance at the room. And then I'm the only one that gets the reference. I go, my favorite year. <laughs> so what's your favorite year is that everybody yeah question? yeah let's all talk about our favorite year i i have a much different favorite year i liked when buicks were fords and fords were chevys mm-hmm. and you know it was all a mishmash yeah yeah the kia soul i guess was probably my favorite year <laughs> i i remember when there were saturn ions on the road <laughs> um yeah that kind of does it for the movie I did want to talk a little bit, the inspiration for doing writers talking about writers, uh, which no one's ever done before, was <laughs> the WGA strike. And Goldie, again, as I said, I don't, I can't always predict your take on movies. You, you seem to lock in on these certain takes. You have this brain that works in this way that I really admire. But I also see you as sort of a doomsday scenario generator. Okay. Like, and it's like, and I think it's, you know, it's like a defense mechanism, but I will sometimes, I w- you know, if I came to you, I feel like, and I would, would say, um, hey, I, I just sold a movie with Tom Hanks. And you would go like, well, you better hope nothing happens to Tom Hanks. You end up with Chet Hanks. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, yeah, that would be bad if that No, happened. what I would say would but be he, like, what's the recent track record of success yeah, that we're pointing to, Sean? Yeah. Like, since the yeah, Tom Hanks 15 years ago, that'd be a huge deal. But right yeah. now, like, you got another Greyhound on your hands? You're, Good luck. You might be <laughs> the get in that scenario. Like, he's going, yeah. I've, I managed to rook Sean Clements yes. into working with me. Yeah, so <laughs> I think that you, con- you do find the downside of things. So I would imagine that with the strike, my guess is you have a prediction or a fear or something or a feeling about it. Um, I know you were someone who for a long time was saying that you had friends in the music industry and that like the way that Spotify kind of gutted them was a good predictor for what will happen with streaming and television. So like, what is your feeling about like, the strike where we're at, what you think will happen, like what's the gen? What's so the, I'm speaking for myself and not for the WGA. No, no, you're it's you're not speaking to WGA. You as a member, as a writer, like um, how do you feel or what do you? I think see we happening? need to be prepared for this to go on for a very, very, very long time because I agree. We've sort of in the previous strike when we were able to leverage the streamers to get concessions out of the network. It was one thing. It was definitely not the cause of this. And it, it was one factor, probably small. But the networks have now been so weakened in comparison to the streamers that we can't use them to get leverage against the streamers. And the mm-hmm. streamers, uh, you know, for the most part, are giant companies that written television is percentage-wise an extremely small part of it. It's very hard to put a dent in Apple. Or Amazon. Absolutely. Yes. It's not. It's the well. And so you're they playing could poker. Stop making TV or movies tomorrow and never think about it right. again. Right. So you're playing poker against someone. You have $100 and they have a million dollars. I actually played poker with someone once and it was like I played in a game 
where it was like a $20 buy-in and we were all, this is like when I lived in Connecticut, it was all like people in uh, the Connecticut, like New Haven, like recovery sobriety community. And so we all, you know, I, it was like my boss on this like cooling tower job that I had. It was like a bunch of us and we all didn't really have any money. And there was this one kid who came to play from a very, very wealthy family. And he came in and bought in and had no idea how to play poker. <laughs> but every time you were in a hand with him, he would just start putting large amounts of money into the hand and putting you on these very difficult decisions where you were like, well, if I lose my $20, I have to go home for the rest of the night. But if he <laughs> loses his, he's going to like just do it again and again. And it just reminds me, it's a good metaphor that you're coming up with because at one point somebody said, you're winning every hand. You have no idea how poker works. And he said, no, I don't, but I do know how money works. Uh, <laughs> see, that's better. That should have been in, the, in that movie. But, so, but I'll say, because I, I don't want to be so pessimistic, but here's the note of optimism in the analogy, which is that if they drive us out of the game, then they're not playing poker. There's no poker to play at all, and they want to play poker. Mm -hmm. So you need yeah. someone. Well, they've got to, they, they're, they can shear a sheep, right? Right. They want to, they want to get, they want to get something that's advantageous to them, but they don't want to walk away entirely forever. Right. So, you know, I, but I just think that people need to be prepared mentally for, for this to haul. go into next year. Would be based on nothing but my own. I agree. My my prediction, I think, was early November that like it goes through the whole summer, it goes into the fall, that people are looking at Thanksgiving and Christmas break. These studios going like, if we don't get serious about talking about it now, we're really not going to talk about it at all until like mid-January or something of the following year. Let's try to figure it out. So I thought that that's when it could either be resolved or like get real progress made. Um, but other people are more optimistic and I hope they're right. That'd be great. Um, thank you. I wanted you to go first and I knew you'd have an opinion about um, what the texture of it was. Alec, do you have any thoughts about the strike and where we're at? Well, again, non-WGA opinion forthcoming. I, I think I think it'll end sooner than maybe both you guys. Good. Um, based on nothing. Um, I see it ending, uh, in early September. Um, but I also feel like, you know, I hope we, we're going to get what we can get, you know, just like we do. I think Goldie's right. They ultimately need us to do the thing that they want to do. Uh -huh. So we'll just have to be patient and, and get what we can get. Yeah, that makes sense. I will say to your point about the streamers being more powerful than the networks i i do feel that a lot of these networks probably have some feeling of we've been doing business with writers for a hundred years these tech companies started 10 years ago should we break off and do something that's in our own interest uh if, you know if, against these people that are trying to devour if, our if entire i work operation for a network i would be screaming on a conference table these people are probably these people meaning the streamers 
are probably trying to weaken us financially to the point where they can buy us on the cheap. Yeah. And we need to step up and stop them from doing that. It hurts us more than them. Yes. Yeah. And that our interests are not their interests. I don't want the value of this company to be crushed and then the company to be sold to them for cheap for no reason. Well, it's like, yes, Amazon and Apple have more money, but you're letting them dictate the terms. This isn't what they do. Yeah. This is what you do. It seems an irrational business decision on their part to continue. And that is hopeful. Mm hmm. Um, well, fingers crossed. Uh, thanks so much for being on the show, guys. Find these cats on a typical disgusting display. They're a great podcast about writing. I listen to it all the time. They weren't able to host this past week, but they got some decent replacements. Always enjoy talking to you. Is there anything else, any last uh, observation or thing you want to promote or anything? Sure. So we're. I'm now looking at the clock of our total runtime. I assume there might be some editing, but we're in an hour 25. So one of the reasons I think my favorite year could be a top five movie ever. The total runtime is an hour 32. <laughs> so any movie that, that that is that short deserves contention for at least a top 100 movie. Absolutely. Because it is <laughs> such an undersold virtue of film to let people out, to finish, be done, and say, I was a movie and I'm done. So many movies that the first hour I'm enjoying lately, and then by the end of it, I go, I can't believe I'm still in this movie. And my son has started watching some kids' movies that are like 85, 90 minutes. And I'm just like, this kicks ass. I just like it, saw- It's done. It's over. I saw the Spider-Man movie, which there, there's a lot of genius in those movies. Two hours, 40 minutes, and ended on a cliffhanger. And my kids looked like they'd been shipwrecked for two weeks <laughs> and the lights came on and some little kid to great laughter said very audibly tank god that's oba <laughs> <laughs> and because we all felt the same way it's two hours 40 minutes i could have watched my favorite year and my favorite year almost again <laughs> i could watch my second favorite year yeah <laughs> oh wait we gotta write my second favorite year Oh, no, please, no. <laughs> it's set in 82. We write it now, it's set in 82. No, 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 no. Here's the thing. Benji Stone is now the head writer. He's the old guy, but it's a different world than the one he came up in. Well, they've got this social media TikTok star coming on to be the guest yeah. on uh, your uh, cavalcade of comedy. Listen, last week we got a Hosted point. by Prince Kaiser. <laughs> We're one of the biggest shows in the country. We get a point oh oh one. We've got 800,000 to... people watching us over a 60-day window every single episode. <laughs> you mean I've got to take the boulder, that's who they'd call the rock, to the <laughs> South Bronx? <laughs> I'm just updating it. Terrible. It was god-awful when you watch it again. It was a perfect movie. Thank you for picking that during the strike because it was a perfect movie when I was like, okay, I have absolutely nothing to do today. <laughs> I can watch this movie and it will not annoy me so much that I spent an hour and a half doing it. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming, guys. Uh, Thank see you, you later. Thanks for having me. Thanks.